Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello, hello. How are we? I just want to give an advance warning that two children in my neighborhood have gotten their hands on, I can never remember what they're called, they became popular during the World Cup that was in, was the World Cup in South Africa? I can't, the World Cup that was somewhere in Africa, what are they called? It starts with a V. They're basically really fucking loud noisemakers, like horns, and they stand outside my fucking window and blow on them, and I'm trying to be a nice, good neighbor because it's quarantine, and these kids need to get out of the house, but I don't understand why their parents are letting them play with them. We live in a at least where my house is, I live in a condo, and it's like a condo community, so there's, you know, I mean, in this, like, little cul-de-sac, there are, there are probably 25 families, 50 families, I don't know, I can't, I can't think of how many, but a lot, there's a lot of families in this small little area, 100, I don't know, and, you know, we don't, So, like, when those kids stand in the cul-de-sac and blow their fucking horns, all 100 of us can hear it. And it's annoying as fuck. (laughs) And it's, like, kind of hot in my room, so I've, or, like, stuffy is a better word for it in my room. So I've had my window open, and now I have my window closed, so it's, like, stuffy. So if you hear a loud horn in the background of this podcast, I apologize. Um, I can't get them to stop. I guess I could ask them to. But that feels like, I'm not ready to go there yet. Last night when they were blowing them or two nights ago, I was real about to do it. But I didn't because it's quarantine and I'm trying to be nice to my neighbors. The other annoying thing is that we have um, a lot of open space in this neighborhood. We actually have huge, like they could go to the tennis courts or the, well, I guess they can't go in the playground. I did notice they put uh, like tape up by the playground They could go in the tennis courts. They could go in the pool um, parking lot. They could go to the soccer fields (laughs) where there are no houses nearby. That's all in this neighborhood in the development and blow those little horns, but they're choosing to do them right here. Anyway, how are we? I am good. Uh, Just as a quick plug, if you're interested in my Patreon podcast, go to patreon.com slash Liz Bentley or search Liz Bentley on Patreon. I am pumping out the content. This week I did Three Wives, One Husband, which is a a polygamous show that was on originally the BBC, then TLC, then Netflix. It's just four episodes. It was really interesting. Uh, That was a good episode. I did True Life, I'm Too Young for My Boyfriend, a Sister Wives podcast, of course. What else did I talk about this week? Oh, (laughs) the Vlog Squad and YouTube. And I think that's it for this week. And then next week, I have an episode on the show Unorthodox, the show in the memoir Unorthodox. I had my best friend on, Fia, who I talk about all the time on this podcast, because she is Orthodox. And we talked about, you know, what the cult Uh, that's shown on the show is like, uh, the diversity and orthodoxy and just her thoughts and feelings and my thoughts and feelings on the podcast. And we kind of unpacked the hypocrisy we feel around that show because we both want 
to automatically be like, oh, well, you need to show the positive sides of it. And no, no, let me explain why orthodoxy isn't bad and this show isn't right. But we would never do that for any of the other content we consume about cults. So we really, I think it's interesting. We unpacked how we felt a lot about that and then talked about how Thea became orthodox in her 20s. And I thought it was a really beautiful conversation. I loved it. I was so happy. So, so happy. I loved having her on. Um, So next week I have, I keep saying that I have a Caroline Calway episode coming up, and I do. I just have been kind of putting it off because she's doing shit that I want to talk about. Real Housewives of New York, Intervention, I'm going to do Chrissy's episode, Jesus Camp, a couple Gypsy Sisters episodes, more YouTube. So yeah, that's what's coming up. And if you're interested in that, come to patreon.com slash Liz Bentley. If not, keep listening to Feathers in My Hair. I appreciate everybody that signed up and I understand that not everybody can afford to sign up or wants to sign up, which is why I'm not like endlessly pushing this at all times. Okay, on to this podcast. I want to talk about, first I want to do my shout out. I need to specifically find what this, I wrote down what this person wanted me to say, but now I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I know she gave me a better explanation in it. So hold on one second. Okay, she writes, can you shout out packing shed workers? My fiance is an essential worker as the production manager of a packing shed. They're packing cherries right now, but all the packing sheds are essential to stock the grocery stores with food for us to panic by. LOL, kind of. Yes, of course I can shout them out. I'm still not quite sure what a shed worker is, and I realize I should have followed up, but I'm assuming that means they take the product and then the sheds are what gets shipped to the stores. I'm not really sure, but anybody that is helping us, anybody in the supply chain, thank you. Like, seriously, thank you. Whatever is enabling us to buy online and go into the stores and still buy stuff, like, that shit all still has to get done. And I super, super, super appreciate that. Okay, next shout out. Pharmacy techs. Yes. I mean, huge shout out to pharmacy techs who get paid very little money. Pharmacy techs really don't make a lot of money. Pharmacists as well. They make a lot of money, but they go to a lot of school and deserve it. And pharmacists are very important. So let me say anybody working at a pharmacy, yes, but this is specifically about pharmacy techs who I've always been grateful for because they're really nice and really helpful in my experience and never judge me through my years of active addiction. I used to know quite a lot of pharmacy techs, if you will, um, including the really nice guy who used to sell me needles, even though I didn't shoot up, I would always... Uh, get them for my ex-boyfriend or my friends because I didn't have any shame in buying needles. But he knew what was up and didn't care and would just sell me the needles and didn't judge me and was really great. And pharmacy techs don't make a lot of money. They basically get paid retail employee uh, salaries and they do a really important job. Tomlin specifically wanted me to shout out all women. (laughs) I'm just laughing because like, I like it's just funny. She was like, Can you shout out women? And I was like, Yeah, you know, no, I can't. You know, I'm a notorious woman hater. Uh, but yeah, all women uh, who, at least in my opinion, women make the world go round and women will always make the world go round. Women are especially making the world go round. I think a lot of essential workers are women, especially as we know, women are in care fields. Women are nurses, women are teachers. Uh, Women are all levels of hospital workers and at like admin staff. I mean, I am going to have to go help my old job mail stuff out. (laughs) 
because they don't know how to mail, like, use our mailing system. Um, and because these are all women-dominated positions and because of sexism or whatever, women are pushed into care careers and I, like, including me, myself, Liz Bentley, and we are the support staff that makes the world go round and we are also the people that care for and take care of sick people and people in need and children. Um, somebody asked, I shout out Starbucks workers. Yes. I know not every Starbucks is open, but the drive through ones are still there. And I would imagine it's chaos. Internet and cable providers. Yes, thank you, because I had to get a new fucking modem this week. <laughs> we got a new modem and those mesh pod extenders this week because my internet sucks. And it's been a nightmare. And this week is, was especially bad. So thank you to Comcast, especially Comcast, but everybody, especially workers that are going into people's homes. I don't know if that's still happening, but I would imagine that's not easy during this time. Um, I want to especially shout out parents of kids with disabilities who I think in my very first shout out episode, I shouted out parents, especially mothers, because... They now have to be home with their kids 24-7, and that's hard as fuck. But when you have a child with a disability and really rely on that child getting the special services that they need for your break, but also for their fundamental development and not having that anymore, I feel you. I'm here for you. I see you. Okay, and then I have one more special one, but I want to read exactly what she asked me to say because she wrote a really nice message. Okay, so... I don't, I won't read her name in case she didn't want me to. She said, just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for all your COVID shout outs and ask if you haven't already made your podcast this week, could you please shout out Nova Scotia, Canada, particularly our first responders. If you hadn't heard last weekend, a gunman dressed as a police officer killed 22 people in our small community, including a member of our police force. Our community is devastated. And I knew first, I know a few first responders here who listen to your podcast and I know it would mean a lot to them. Yes, of course, as an American, I did see that, but unfortunately, I'm quite numb to mass shootings, so I saw it and kind of clicked by it, but I can't imagine when, especially if you're from Canada, where mass shootings don't happen like they do in America, 22 people is so many people, especially in a small community, that is so devastating. The first responders that were on the scene who were already dealing with COVID and trying to help people and keep them alive than being in a life and death situation. Shout out to Nova Scotia and what happened there is really awful. So, Teen Mom Goss this week. Leah's, uh, well, basically, people keep saying Leah's releasing excerpts of her book, but really what happened is that the Ashley got an advanced reader copy of the book and is slowly releasing excerpts for more page clicks, which is what you do and what makes sense. And two pretty big bombshell stories were released this week. I'll start with the first and the most serious. Leah, okay, basically Leah explains that when she was a teen before getting pregnant, her mom went like off the rails. She got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, was refusing to take medication. Her and her stepdad Lee were really fighting Uh, Dawn and Lee were fighting and things were really bad and Dawn was really out of control and Leah had a party at her house. They were playing spin the bottle. Her mom was like involved and basically 
forced Leah, like, she turned the bottle and kind of forced Leah to be with this guy. She essentially pushed them into Leah's bedroom, shut the door, leaned on the door, and Leah and this guy ended up having sex kind of under the pressure of her mother. It's really awful. It doesn't really sound consensual in the way that she describes it. She says that she didn't want to do it, but it was consensual, which I find, I don't know. I think that there, I don't know if this makes sense. I do think there are a lot of situations where it's not assault, but it's not totally like, uh, I don't That's not right. I don't really know what I'm trying to say. But I think Leah is describing what she feels is a gray area, and she isn't really sure how to unpack it or share it, which is interesting that she would share it in a book. But, I mean, she's not the first. Remember when Mackenzie Phillips wrote that book about her dad? (laughs) The most iconic celebrity memoir of all fucking time is Mackenzie Phillips' memoir, where she revealed that her father of Mamas and the Papas, Papa John... John Phillips, I think that's his name, John Phillips, had been having what at she at the time called a consensual incestual relationship that she and her father for years had been in a relationship. It started the first time when she was, well, I mean, it goes way back. He like gave her heroin when she was like 11 But the first time they had sex, she basically blacked out and woke up to him on top of her. And she's like, and then we were in love. It was consensual. And, you know, it was the shocking memoir. And she actually copped a lot of heat at the time because people were like, this is not consensual. First of all, there's no such thing as a consensual incestual relationship between a parent and a child, even if the child is of age. Because I think she was like 19 when it started. And people kind of got mad at her because she was using, even though she was telling her story, she was using very irresponsible language. If you guys don't know about this, like, go watch Mackenzie Phillips on Oprah. Like, that, (laughs) I still cannot believe that she fucking released that book. Like, not, I'm laughing because it's just, like, it's so brave and bold of somebody who is the daughter, who is famous herself and is the daughter of one of, of an extremely extremely famous musician and you know it kind of split the family only certain sisters like would agree that it happened and certain sisters and certain ex-wives would say that it didn't um and she definitely you know she definitely has come around and has basically been like I released that book with almost no education about sexual assault and incest and I like, regret the way that I talked about it. I don't regret talking about it, but I regret the way that I talk about it. And now she really talks a lot about how it was not consensual. Um, so that's kind of how I feel reading this uh, excerpt, what Leah is explaining. Uh, obviously, what Dawn did is horrific, and I don't want to downplay it at all. Um, like, really bad. Really, really bad. Her mom was a really bad mom. However... I think it's very interesting because now Leah is posting a lot about how much she loves Dawn and Dawn is, her relationship is the best it's ever been. And I'm curious, I'm curious if, okay, I think I'm a little biased because I grew up with two parents that were not sober and abusive and fucked up and unmedicated and life was really, really hard and bad for me. 
But they both made like active choices, like very active choices to get better and recover and heal and make amends. And now as an adult, I have completely different relationships with them than I did as a child. And I would hate to think that people listen to the stories that I tell about my childhood and would think that like my parents are awful people today and that there's no way that I could have a healthy relationship with them because I really genuinely have a very healthy relationship with both of my parents today and they're both pretty healthy people and do a lot for me and you know it really I wouldn't say it's water under a bridge because I don't think that's I don't think that's an accurate representation of what it is I think we have all healed and agreed to forgive and move forward and form new relationships and that's what it is and nothing is perfect like nobody's perfect you know relationships are perfect but I genuinely believe that people can change because I have witnessed firsthand people change it so for me when I read this and I read that horrific story of what her mother did and I obviously feel very angry at Dawn and I feel very sad for Leah and her siblings and I it just is it just is awful. You know, it's just awful. But then I also read in that excerpt that her mom had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and wasn't medicated. And then I'm like, well, that's what happened with my dad. And then he got medicated and like got sober and shit got a lot better. And so I'm wondering if like, I keep seeing like Lee is doing damage control for her mom. This is bullshit. She shouldn't ever talk to her mom again. But, like, where I'm sitting is, like, okay, but did Dawn agree to medicate her bipolar disorder and went to therapy and healed and got better? Because if that's the case, then I don't see a problem with Leah having Dawn in her life and the girl's life. Now, if Dawn hasn't done anything to get better and she still behaves that way, then there's obviously an issue. But I want to, I guess, reserve judgment until Leah maybe explains how she and her mom got to be in the best place that they're ever in. And if that that involves, like, we went to therapy together, my mom got medicated, I got medicated, like, uh, if that's the case, then, like, I don't see a problem with her saying, like, Dawn and I are in the best place we've ever been. Because, like, I sit up here on this podcast and I talk about, you know, how abusive and terrible my parents were, but then I genuinely can say, like, I'm in the best place I've ever been with my parents. And I, and I can see people being like, well, that's probably damage control. But I also talk a lot about the healing that went into it. At least I hope I do. Um, I talk a lot about, like, the recovery that's happened and the fact that, like, <laughs> like, when I, you know, when I got furloughed from work, I called my dad and It's just so special, like, that both my parents are sober and that we all work a program of recovery because, like, the talk that he gave me was just, like, it was just so based in the the 12 steps. Like, we really share a common language that people not in the program don't have. And, like, the things that he said were, like, exactly what I needed to hear. And, I mean... Beyond the fact that he, like, was like, don't worry about it. I got you. Like, I, we're going to be okay. We're taking care of you. And I was like, you know, it's not just the money. I'm, like, so scared about my mental health and what I'm going to do and, like, what, what I'm going to do if I don't have something to do every day. And he really was, like, had the right thing to say. And because of the work that he's done, you know, and because of, like, how he's healed and where he is, 
And that is really special. And I'm like very, very grateful for that. And like, I hear people in the rooms all the time talk about their parents that are still drinking and using because (laughs) most of us in the room, not most of us, but a lot of us in the rooms have parents that, you know, are addicts and alcoholics as well. And it just seems awful. And I can't imagine that. And like, the fact that (laughs) everyone in my immediate family has the language of the 12 steps in recovery, uh, I guess, except for my brother, but he doesn't really need it. Um, But everybody, but all of my parents, all four of my parents have the language of recovery. My stepmom's not an alcoholic, but she went to um, either Al-Anon or codependent anonymous. I can't remember. And she worked the steps there. So she has a, she has a deep understanding of it as well. So, you know, the fact that we all share this common language is really beautiful and special. And I would hate for anybody to hear, you know, if I wrote a memoir, let's say, and like wrote openly and honestly about the way that my dad was as a child, I can't imagine those, let's say I'm famous, those excerpts coming out And then people being like, but how is he still in your life and not having the chance to also explain uh, the recovery and the healing and how he changed and how we all change. So, yeah, I am withholding judgment on their relationship now is what I'm saying. I think what Dawn did was horrific. Uh, I'm proud of Leah for being very honest in this book and sharing it all. I think she really laid it all out there and it's very interesting. Uh, I will be very interested to hear how she talks about her drug addiction. Uh, That's something that I've always been a little on with her. I don't think she's very totally honest when it comes to it, let's say. And how long she used and how long she used after the fact and all of that stuff and, and kind of her responsibility in it. She really makes it seem like she just accidentally got addicted to it, which I think she picked up I think she picked up that language from other people maybe and was like well you know a lot of people get addicted because they get prescribed pills and like that is true absolutely but something about the way she talks about it has always really rubbed me the wrong way and I've never like she even will be like well I went to treatment but I wasn't on the addiction track because I just had a physical dependency on it and I'm like what does that even mean like, what is it? You stole from your kid's trust fund to buy pills. Like, you had a, that's because of your physical dependency. Like, you had no mental addiction issues. So I'll be interested to see how she talks about that. But yeah, I just want to say, like, I want everybody, while judging Dawn, I want them to judge her for what she did in that moment. But take a step back when it comes to judging their relationship now. And if Leah is saying we have the best relationship possible, like maybe let's give her the benefit of doubt a little bit and wait to see what she has to say because people can and do change. And it's really unfair that we don't allow that from people. Um, And the fact is Dawn let, let her, I mean, let is like a weird word, but apparently Dawn is aware of everything that she wrote in the book and is still standing by her and allowing Leah to tell her story in the way that Leah needs to tell her story. And in a way, that's really taking responsibility for your actions um, to let the victim tell their story the way that they feel that they need to tell it and they want to tell it and share all of the gory details of how you behaved and how they were victimized as a result of your behavior 
is a very, very, I mean, that's, it's brave, but it's also like, that's an act of amends. Stay tuned for my Patreon episode on Caroline Calloway. Because <laughs> I'm going to get into how she's doing the exact opposite of that. Um, and how it's really annoying and frustrating and upsetting to me. But if Dawn is, you know, standing by Leah's side and saying Leah is telling the truth, she has every right to tell this story and I'm proud of her for telling this story. Like, to me, that indicates a certain level of maturity and healing that I hope is happening. Now, is it definitely happening? No. And maybe I'll have a different tune. I'll be like, well, Dawn's a really bad Dawn. Dawn? (laughs) Dawn. (laughs) Dawn is a really bad person and... Leah should totally cut ties with her, but I really am a big believer that if somebody can change and you can forgive them, then that is great, and that's a good thing, and we shouldn't punish that. (sighs) Okay, let me take a really quick break, and then I'm going to talk, touch on the lighter, funnier story that also came out this week about Leah, and then the rest of this episode. So the other story is that apparently Leah was in what she calls a fight club as a child in elementary school. And she and other elementary school kids would meet up and have fights. Also, apparently her parents, her grandma and Dawn, she doesn't say which grandma or Ashley doesn't tell us which grandma. But I'm guessing she means Grandma Sandy, who... If you guys will remember, once attacked uh, Victoria's husband, boyfriend, somebody related to Victoria uh, in the head with a lead pipe. So apparently Leah was like fighting with some girl who was going after her boyfriend and her mom and her grandma were like, well, you need to fight her. And her grandma, according to Leah, she says, My grandma even came down to school one day and pulled me out of class to tell me that I needed to kick her ass right then and there. I'd be in trouble with her. I already got a warning about fighting in school, and the last thing I needed was to get suspended, Leah continued. I got my grandma to calm down so I could go back to class, but her attitude was basically, you need to stand up to this girl, and if you can't do it at school, then you better do it when you don't have school. (laughs) Oh, God. So she found her in the hallway and beat her up. It's not funny because, like, parents encouraging children to fight is not funny. But, look, it's very West Virginia, if nothing else. (laughs) Is it not? (laughs) I'm just imagining, like, a tiny little Leah because I, well, I guess she probably looked more like Grace. I'm just imagining her being so tiny and in elementary school, like, meeting up in the park to have an organized fight club. (laughs) Also, I just, I kind of love the way that Ashley, like, revealed these excerpts, like, the really serious one about her mom, and then, like, three days later, like, Leah's in a fight club. (laughs) Oh, God. Leah, Leah, Leah. I mean, good for you, Leah, for really laying it all out there. Okay, should we talk about Teen Mom Original Girls? It's Teen Mom OG. The Original Girls. (laughs) This show is so fucking bad. What are we watching every week? For those of you that still watch along with me, I salute you. Okay, 
I want to start with Macy so I can rip apart those fucking glasses that she's wearing this season. What the fuck are those? She looks so bad. Why is she wearing those? (laughs) Okay, for people that don't watch, they are full on Jeffrey Dahmer glasses. They have the straight bar across and then they come down huge, huge on her face. The thing is, I think they can be cute on some people, but Macy has such a little face that they look so crazy. I'll try and get a screenshot. I don't know if Amazon will let me screenshot on my computer, but I'll try and get a screenshot to post on my Instagram because they just look horrific. And she's wearing them all season. And every time she comes on my season, I'm like, or on my season, on my screen, I like cringe. They're really, they're not good. Also, once again, an episode without Ryan is so boring. I don't really understand why MTV is doing this, why they're giving us episodes that don't heavily feature Ryan. Um, if they haven't figured out yet that Macy is not a star, it's like, how, how have we gotten to this season? And they still don't understand that what we want to see out of Macy's scenes is Ryan and Mackenzie being fucking assholes. I don't care about Macy and her charity works, even though, as I said with the PCOS and as I will say about this birth control shit, it is a good cause. Nobody's denying that. I want to see Macy like encouraging Ryan to restrain or to to uh, break a restraining order and then mad when he doesn't. I want to see Ryan being high. I want to see Mackenzie being fucking delusional. That fight with Jen and Larry chef kiss. That was perfect. Like, that's what I want to see. I don't care to see Macy going to a charity event that we don't even see the charity event we see them drive to and drive home from. That's how low we are right now, that we don't even see the fucking event that they're going to to learn more about this great agency. They just drive to and drive home. (laughs) Oh my god. So basically, Ryan and Mackenzie are getting ready for their new baby and they get an ultrasound. Fine. And then we find out that Taylor has definitely decided he's not committing to the vasectomy, which, you know, it is what it is. I think if you really are not ready to say that I absolutely do not want more kids, although I guess you could always freeze your sperm. But if you're not ready to get the vasectomy, then you're not ready to get the vasectomy. Taylor is still quite young. Didn't they have his 30th birthday last season? So I can understand um, that he's just not ready. Even if it's not more kids with Macy, maybe in the back of his head, he's like, well, I just want the option. And I think that's fair. I, once again, like, I don't understand why Macy doesn't go get her tubes tied. While, yes, it is more invasive than getting a vasectomy, it they've really got that shit streamlined these days. And if Macy, although I've read that an IUD is actually more effective than a getting your tubes tied, but if Macy... Really doesn't want to be on birth control because last season she was saying she really didn't want to be on birth control. Then if that's what she wants, then she should just go get her tubes tied. She should make the decision and get the surgery and it will be over. But I guess she decided that's not what she wants. And I thought that birth control helped PCOS, but I don't know. I guess maybe for some people it doesn't, and she may be sensitive to the hormones, and so the hormone, like, that outweighs the help that it would give. But Macy decides she's going to get another arm implant, which, great, they show her getting it, great, and then Macy and Taylor have a talk about the price of contraception. 
Wow. Maisie and Taylor are getting woke. Okay. Here's the thing. I actually think that this was information and awareness-wise quite a good... Sorry, my mom didn't realize I was podcasting and started vacuuming right outside my door. (laughs) Then I was like, hey, mom, I'm doing my podcast. And she was like, ah, I'm sorry. She's a little cutie. But like I said, information and awareness-wise, this is a great platform. This is a great topic to bring awareness to. I wish it would get even more political. (laughs) You know, I wish it would be like, fuck Donald Trump, fuck the Republicans, we need to free axe everybody. Actually, what I... (laughs) I wish this was Macy (laughs) advocating for Medicaid for all. (laughs) Macy becoming so politically woke, she's now a Medicare for all universal health care supporter. That... Mm, I would love that. But that's not quite what we get. And you know, it's okay. It's okay. I can't, I can't expect everybody to be perfect, right? (laughs) So this is a good start. But I will say for me, it's like, yeah, Macy, like, we, I guess I, this is me being like, I understand this is me being snobby and super judgmental and expecting everybody else to have the same political awareness that I do. Um, But when we're in the year, I guess it was 2019 when they were filming this, when we're in the year 2019 and we're like, wow, birth control is expensive. Like, we should do something about this. It's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, girl, where have you been? (laughs) Prescriptions are expensive. It's a problem in America. (laughs) It feels... Very 2005, this conversation they're having. You know, this feels like a Bush era conversation. I just, I'm like, where has she been for the last, I mean, and Macy's what, 29 at this point, 28? So like, where have you been for the last 10 years? I'll give her since she was 18. Were you really not aware of this when you were going on your abstinence only speaking tours? Were you not aware of the price of birth control? I don't know. This is just me being, like, really jaded by these women on this show, the shows who have done almost nothing to support political positions, you know, and really haven't used their platforms well at all, at least in my opinion. Almost none of them have taken a risk of being controversial. I would say the only ones that have taken a political stance were Kate and Ty with their pro-life speaking tours, (laughs) which I'm still waiting for them to walk back, but they probably never will. You know, these are not politically active women, and they don't use their platforms this way ever. And so it is nice to see a little bit, but also it's like we're on season eight. Like, this show has been on since 2009. Like, this is the first semi-political thing that you are involved in. I just, I personally can't imagine that, but I will applaud Macy for the, the decision to give this a platform. I think it's interesting. I think it's good. Obviously, like, reproductive justice is something that I am extremely passionate about. Anybody that can get their hands on birth control, like, more people that can get free birth control, the better. Um, Macy decides that she wants to work with... I wrote down the name of it. Hold on. I want to get the name right. Macy decides that she wants to work with this organization in Chattanooga. I was kind of surprised that she didn't say Planned Parenthood, but it's okay. There are lots of non-Planned Parenthood organizations. Um... If you are a person that wants to support abortion and support women being able to get abortions, what I suggest is 
not to donate to Planned Parenthood as great as Planned Parenthood is, I suggest that you donate to the National Network of Abortion Funds. They are a company that company, a nonprofit that I donate to regularly, probably 10 times a year. Um, maybe like every, I, I don't know, but like probably like every other month I send them money. Um, and I always on Facebook for my like birthday fundraiser, I always make them my, you know what I'm saying. I make them my donation thing. They are my Amazon smile recipient, the national network of abortion funds. There's also the yellow hammer fund, which is really good, but I just choose to support the national network of abortion funds. Um, you can go on their website and donate to them and get really cool merch. I have like a shirt that says everybody loves somebody who's had an abortion. I have this really amazing fanny pack. I can't remember what it says. Something about abortion funds. Abortion funds are magical or something. Um, it's like holographic. It's really cool. They have a lot of, they have like this really great comic that I believe is still for sale. They, they just do a really good job. And their goal is to put, their mission is to put money in the hands of people who need abortions directly, which, you know, it's great to support Planned Parenthood and to support clinics, but what's really important is that people who need abortions can access them and to put, you know, hand directly, put money directly in the hands of people who need it, which is really hard to do because, you know, many people live hours and hours away from the closest clinic to them that gives abortions. Many people have to travel to different states to do it. So not only is the cost of abortion quite high, but the cost of travel is quite high. And so the National Network of Abortion Funds organizes all of that and helps with all of that. They're a really great organization. So I actually, like, at first I was, like I said, I was expecting her to say Planned Parenthood, but when she didn't, I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, highlighting a local Chattanooga charity or clinic. I don't know if they're, I'm sure they're a nonprofit. But Macy is very passionate about Chattanooga and local stuff in Chattanooga. So I was happy to see that. I liked that she went there and like let the director, whoever she was meeting with, like give her pitch on national TV. That is, I'm sure, a really great get for them. Maybe after this episode, I will. After this episode, I'm going to donate to a step ahead. That's what it's called. A step ahead, um, I think. Well, I'm going to do a little bit of research. <laughs> Just to make sure that they are actually in line with my values. And if they are, I'm going to donate money to them. Um, I suggest you do too if you do the research and they are in line with what you believe. You know, if I get on their website and see that they like support all contraceptions but actually are pro-life, then I probably wouldn't donate to them. But I have a feeling that wouldn't be true. And I'm just going to look at what their mission is and what type of information they have out there. And then I'm going to donate to them. Uh, I think it's great that they got a chance to be on national TV. And Macy's thing is that she wants to, her big thing is that she wants to be a board member of this organization, which I was like, okay, girl, dream big. <laughs> I Like, okay, like maybe you could get involved with volunteering first. <laughs> But if you want to be a board member, I mean, I think it makes sense for them to put her on, to put her on their board. Like, she has a huge platform that cannot be bought, basically, and she has a shit ton of Instagram followers, and she gets your name on national television. So put Macy on the board. I really like to see her support a politically good cause, and it it's definitely, like, special to see on Teen Mom, because like I said, the show is so non-political, considering how political all of the topics that are discussed on this show, which I've always said that Teen Mom is an inherently political show, although they really pretend not to be. 
but this is a show that talks about teen pregnancy, abortion, domestic violence, um, poverty, hungriness, homelessness, like so many political topics are discussed on this show, and yet it is extremely apolitical in a way that I've always found to be very frustrating. So it is nice to see Macy, even if this is kind of the most non-political way to do it, she is at least getting involved with something, and I applaud that. And like I said, I'm going to look into the organization, and if I think that it passes my test, then I'm going to donate them, and I encourage you to do the same. Okay, where should we go next? Should we go to LA to talk about Cheyenne? Cheyenne's back from Thailand. It looked nice in the pictures that we saw, and we find out that Taylor is pregnant. The least, like, I don't know. I cared so little about this. First of all, I want to talk about the fact that Taylor has a very weird affect. Am I the only one that noticed this? Like, the way Taylor speaks is very bizarre to me. I can't can't fully articulate why and how, but her tone and her accent is very weird to me. At first, I thought maybe she was doing like a black scent like um, Kayla does from Team Mom Young and Pregnant, but I don't know if that's it. And like I said, I don't watch any of the challenges or are you the one, so I don't know how she speaks outside of this show, but something is very weird about Taylor. I find I feel very put off by it. Also, like they had the baby yesterday, and we're or two days ago, and like this week's episode is I'm finding out they're pregnant, and they're so online that it's just like okay, okay, okay. They're very excited. They say they they didn't plan for it. They weren't excited at first, and they feel guilty for not being excited about it. And it's like, girl, don't feel guilty. <laughs> you had an unplanned pregnancy, like. The fact that you weren't elated at first is okay, and that doesn't affect your baby at all. Corey tells Cheyenne and her sister, Kyle, and they're both like, oh. <laughs> they had a funny reaction. I thought an appropriate reaction. They weren't mean. They weren't shitty, but they weren't like, oh, my God, that's amazing. They were like, Kyle goes, well, first of all, congratulations, as she's, like, laughing in his face. <laughs> oh god and they talk about it and Cheyenne is like she seems okay with it she seems to be like oh I think what Cheyenne is most upset about not the fact that she's not with Corey well I think she probably is a little upset that like I kind of wonder if she was like me well maybe Corey and I can just like have another baby together kind of like a kale mentality where she's like, we could co-parent so well, and then Ryder will have a full sibling. I think what she's probably most upset about is the fact that she's not going to be the one to give Ryder a sibling first, because she is so close with her siblings and her family. And if I was Cheyenne, I'd be feeling a little left out. I think that'd be hard. Like, I can understand, because Cheyenne is, or Corey's, oh my god, let me get there. Cheyenne, Corey, Ryder. (laughs) Ryder is still really young, and so she's probably going to be very close with this baby because she does spend half her time with Corey, and they're going to be close in age as long, well, I should say, I guess, as long as Taylor and Corey stay together. If they break up, then they probably, you know, who knows how much time they'll really spend together. But I can understand why that is hard, or would be hard for Cheyenne. Just like she, I think as a mother... And as a parent, when you think of your child's siblings, you think of, you know, the kids that you have 
And I'm sure, like, it's an initial blow to realize that, like, you won't be the one that gives that child a sibling first. But I think Cheyenne is over it and has moved on and is okay with it. She seems very involved. And that's great. You guys know I love a blended family. Taylor's just really weird. I don't... I don't know how to, like, fully express how weird I find her. I know people hate her from Are You the One, but I just find her to be bizarre in a way that I can't put my finger on. Um, We see Corey and Taylor, like, posting on Instagram about it, and Corey reads his posts out loud, and then she's like, don't read mine. I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry. And, like, starts, like, kind of tearing up, and then Corey starts tearing up, and instead of them, like, like, snuggling on each other, being like, we're so happy, we're having a baby, we love each other so much, our babies, like, we love this baby so much, Taylor just, like, puts the blanket over her head and, like, is, like, can't deal with this. (laughs) I guess maybe because they're on camera and she feels like it's too intimate on camera. Ugh. Anne has Ryder tell her parents that Taylor is pregnant and her mom goes, let's just sit back and enjoy the show. a good dig. (laughs) Perfectly rude. (laughs) I love that. I really like Cheyenne's family. I really like them and I would like to see more of them on the show. Like I said, I would like to see a spinoff for Cheyenne and her family. Okay, let's... (laughs) Sorry, I just got a text from Troy that really shook me. I need to get on it. Okay, let's talk about Caitlin, who had an interesting segment that relates to what I talked about at the beginning of this episode with Dawn and forgiving our parents and generational trauma and all of that stuff. So we start the episode and Kate's like, if I ever want to get off medication, I need to address the court trauma with my mom. And I was like, okay, fair. Once again, I still don't really understand this goal of getting off medication. I don't I don't know. I don't really understand, like, why we're talking so much about getting off medication and why it's such a thing that keeps coming up. I can understand, like, the dream of, like, one day feeling healthy enough mentally that you don't need to be on medication. I can definitely understand and relate to that, and I think anybody can. What I don't really get is why they keep talking about it. Like, it's the goal and a short-term, short-term short-term goal and why it keeps coming up, that's a little confusing to me. I think it's a little irresponsible, maybe. It's like, just stay on the meds, Kate. Like, you're doing really well. But you've only been doing really well for, like, a year and a half. So slow it. Slow the roll. The psychiatrist has already told you, like, getting off meds is not an option right now. Working on on healing your core trauma with your mother? Perfect. Great. But, like, that should just be a goal by itself because... We need to heal our core trauma, not because it's our goal for getting off medication. I don't know. So Kate's talking to April and she was like, you know, Tyler and I were talking that we really wouldn't be able to travel if you weren't here because you are the one that watches the kids when we travel. And April kind of laughs and she's like, yeah, I know. And it's definitely true. They travel, you know, a significant amount and they're able to have April there. And she's like, well, you know, as a thank you, I want to take you to Key West, just us, no kids, no Tyler, which I thought was nice. I mean, sure, that's nice. And April agrees. And then our next scene, their friend Jordan's over and Nova has a little tantrum. And Tyler is like, 
oh, you know, kind of frustrated. I thought he handled it fine. I was, I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't paying like this super close attention when Nova was having a freak out and it didn't really, nothing stuck out at me. There was a cute little moment. She gets up from the table and (laughs) she's like holding her plate of food and hands it to the camera guy. So she can get down because they're sitting on an island and then she get, he gives it back and she's like, thank you, and walks away. Nova's so cute. She has like euphoria makeup on, like glitter, glitter eyeshadow all over her face. <laughs> Nova's a little cutie. I think they're doing a, a good job with Nova, honestly. Like, I feel like Nova is herself and isn't afraid to be herself and she seems sweet and thoughtful and has good manners and she's just a little cutie. You know... I give Kate, like Kate and Ty, you can give them a lot of shit for a lot of things. I'm still like, how the fuck do you have a million dollars in taxes owed? But I do think that they are trying with Nova. I do. So Jordan, uh, their friend is over and basically Tyler's like, that girl doesn't even know how good she has it, which is true. And that's also, okay, why should she, like, why shouldn't she, you know, like four-year-olds shouldn't know how good they have it. Like, that's the goal. And Jordan is like, you know, my goal is when I have kids to just be a totally different parent than how my parents were. And Caitlin and Tyler agree. And then Tyler brings up how much April has changed. And they're like, I, he's like, I can't even believe it. Like, I really didn't think she would ever be like a grandma to her kids. You know, April and her mom have a lot of issues and April doesn't really talk to her mom that often. It's very on and off. And I assumed it'd be like that with Caitlin and April. But April is just like really calmed down and she's doing a lot better. And that's great. Uh, Kate says that she just doesn't want to carry on the general generational trauma. She uses this specific phrase that I didn't write down that was like, carry the bond, carry the bondage of the trauma and break it. I don't think bond, the burden, carry the burden of the general generational trauma and break it. And I didn't really, I've never heard that phrase, but I guess I'm assuming what it means to like carry the burden of it means to like actually deal with it because I mean, anybody that experiences trauma is carrying the burden of it, but I think instead of, like, just carrying the burden of it, it's, like, actually look at it, explore it, and then break the cycle. And I mean, Caitlin and Tyler have broken a lot of cycles so far. First of all, neither of them are addicted to drugs, as far as we know. Second of all, like, their kids live in a beautiful home. They go to one school. They haven't been moving schools that we know of. They always know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't want for anything. Um, and I kind of think that Kate and Tyler will Tyler will be able to continue that for a long time. I mean, <laughs> you know, barring this um, tax thing that's going on. But I think that they live in a low-cost living area. And they're all for a long time, they're going to be able to do spin-off reality shows and Instagram ads and all that shit, even when the show ends, that keep them living okay. Like, and pretty okay. So, you know, Kate really just wants to get better and make it so it's better for her kids. And I will say in this scene, she looks really good. She's wearing a cute outfit. Her hair is done and she has makeup on. And I was like, okay, Kate. (laughs) So Kate and April go to Key West and they're talking about Kate's depression. And April says she's like, April brings up that she was always walking on eggshells with her mom. And Kate is like, well... Yeah, because that's the generation or tra- generational trauma, and I just, I don't want to carry that on, and I want to get better, and April brings up the fact that, you know, when they were in, like, when Kate was at treatment, and April went to visit her and talk, she says that, like, 
she was really sad that her and Kate weren't close and that, you know, she would find out about life events from social media and she was always hurt that April wouldn't, or that Kate wouldn't tell her first. And she's like, but you've, we've gotten a lot better since then and that doesn't happen anymore. And Kate is like, well, yeah, because I was scared of your reaction, I guess. And April's like, I don't know why you'd be scared of my reaction. You know, I might be like, err, but then I'd give you a hug after and tell you I love you and that everything's okay. <sighs> okay. I, if I'm giving April the benefit of the doubt, I think she is confused about what they're talking about. And I think when Kate says, I don't want to share stuff with you because of your reaction... I think April was talking about positive stuff because she's like, I have to see these announcements on social media before I hear it from you. And so when when Kate's like, well, I was scared of your reaction. Kate's like, April's like, well, why wouldn't you want to tell me? Like, it's always fine because in April's head, she's talking about positive things. I don't know. That was not a good response. No, 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 no. I do worry about them leaving the kids with April. I do worry about how April is with the kids. I have a feeling she's probably also different with the grandkids because she doesn't parent them, you know, and there is a difference between being a grandparent and parenting them. But to me, it doesn't really seem like April has healed a lot. You know, she doesn't, she just doesn't, I don't know. She doesn't give me healed vibes, if you will. And I also think that, not to be rude, that April has a pretty low emotional intelligence and also just IQ in general. And I think that she has a lot of trouble with what Kate is explaining to her. And when they've been in therapy and when they talk about this thi- these things, I think April is like so shut down and kind of shot out in her brain that she has an inability to really process what Caitlin is telling her. I don't know. That was like, when she said that, I was like, things are, mm, this isn't, this really, this isn't good. This isn't good. I'm worried. I'm worried about April watching the kids. We also know like April's not sober and I'm curious about how she manages to keep her drinking under control and her, (laughs) excuse me, hiccups and her using under control. And I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I ooh, I found this episode, like, really hard to watch, these scenes between Kate and April. It, do- it doesn't speak well to April. <laughs> uh, they talk about when she gave up Carly, and the producer, Kurthy's like, so you just didn't want her to give up Carly? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's what this show is about. And we do get a flashback of Tyler saying, she just hasn't forgiven you. <laughs> forgiven. <laughs> Iconic. Really iconic. Oh, God. So, I, April, April's like, well, I was just really upset. And Kate is like, you know, part of the issue is that I was too scared to tell you the truth. And if you'll remember, they, like, always would fight about it because Caitlin told April she was keeping the baby and was, in fact, going to name the baby after her. And then was like, oh, just kidding. I'm giving the baby up for adoption. And April felt like... She had gotten connected to this baby and then the baby was ripped away from her, which was maybe emotionally correct, but 
kind of nonsensical and non-logical when it came to the real realities of their life and the fact that April's life was so out of fucking control and the fact that she thought that Caitlin could have a baby and responsibly raise it just shows how fucked up Kate or April was. I don't know, guys. I am very curious about what April's like as in a, a grandmother and how she's watching the kids. I think Kate and Ty are very numb to it and very numb to dysfunction and toxicity. And I think that they probably let April get away with a lot that if they actually cut off contact with her and, like, remove themselves from their families years later looking back would be like, ooh, no, that's not good. Or if they were listening to somebody else talk about their parent and the situation and were describing April, they'd be like, wow, you shouldn't leave your kids with her alone. But I think that April's behavior is very normalized to them. And I worry about what the kids are exposed to as somebody that had a very toxic grandmother that I was <laughs> uh, left alone with a lot as a child, uh, including living with her in the summers. And um, I know that my mom really regrets that. And uh, actually, a f- not like recently, but we did get into a fight within the last couple of years where we were talking about my grandmother, my dad's mom, and my mom was like, you don't know how bad she was. And I was like, yes, I do, because you let me, like, be raised by her in the summers. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you knew how bad she was, and you sent me to be with her all the time. And my mom was like, yeah, I really regret that. And, yeah, you know, mistakes were made. Can't go back. She acknowledges it. Um, But I, you know, as somebody that was really impacted by a toxic grandmother, I worry about what Kate and Tyler are doing with April and what April's actually like and how they're actually able to have her in their life the way that they do. I don't think it's as healthy as they want us to think it is. And April may be different, but I just find it hard to believe that she suddenly has, you know, the skills to really deal with her grandkids. I don't know. I mean, I guess if they really aren't leaving them for more than, like, four or five days here and there a couple times a year, it's not the end of the world. But I also don't think it's healthy. And I would like to see them move away from using April as a babysitter, basically. Okay, from one bad mom to another, let's go to Mackenzie. (laughs) That's mean to say because Angie has passed away, but... Yeah. What are we going to do? What? How could I talk about Mackenzie and not talk about the toxicity that is Angie when we watch these episodes? Because in this episode, Mackenzie goes out with her mom and her sisters, and she's talking about the vow renewal that's coming up, and Mackenzie's like, Josh planned the whole thing, so it's good I said yes. Mackenzie is dreading this. She does not want to do it. She has no desire to do it. She doesn't want to be with Josh. <laughs> it is what it is, except... Her sisters and her mom are thrilled about it. They're so glad they're together. They want her and Josh to be together. I really, I cannot figure it out. It does not make any sense to me. Angie says, she's like, Mackenzie, I'm so happy. I haven't seen you this happy in a long time, and it just makes me feel good. And Mackenzie goes, I haven't been happy. I've been a depressed little freak. And Angie's response is, that's very good. That's a great way to put it. What? My jaw dropped at that. First of all, you know, Mackenzie is going through, like, serious marital issues. Her husband cheated on her. Like, they have really serious problems. She thought they were going to get a divorce, like, 
to be upset about that and depressed is like, it doesn't make you a freak. It makes you a human. Mackenzie has serious, debilitating depression, which has resulted in suicide attempts in the past. And I feel like nobody takes that seriously, including her. And it's really alarming for me to watch her say, like, I've been a depressed little freak. And her mom to say, yeah, that's a good way to put it. You were. What the fuck? If I said to my mom I was being a depressed little freak, my mom would be like, what? Why would you say that about yourself? You're going through a hard time. Like, it's okay to be upset. (sighs) Angie is such a bitch and has fostered this such an unhealthy self-esteem that Mackenzie has. And Mackenzie will not stop tweeting. She will not stop tweeting about how perfect Josh is and how Josh... Here, I want to read exactly what she wrote. She just, like, won't stop. She won't stop talking about how she is actually an awful wife and how Josh put up with so much from her and that he deserves, you know, we just don't see it, but she should know. Okay, so this is what she said. She said, the hardest part about being on TV is not that people judge you. I was prepared for that, but they missed a gap with me for six years and you guys are judging the 10% of my life that's filmed, but missing all the gaps in between. Especially speaking for Josh. Bad timing on him. I mentioned several times on TV how he forgave me for so much and it helped me to forgive him. But it looks like I'm just a naive girl forgiving just because. I promise I'm tougher than that. First of all, no you fucking haven't. Did I miss the scenes where Mackenzie has said multiple times that Josh forgave her for all the shit she did? No. Also, many of us have been following you on the internet where you put all of your business for the last six years. We have been openly following Josh being a terrible husband to you. And I really am at the point where Mackenzie needs to put up or shut up. And for all of the terrible things that she did to Josh that she keeps talking about, but not specifically saying, like fucking write a blog post, get on your notes app and post it on Instagram and let us know exactly what you did to Josh that he forgave you for. That makes your relationship so even Stevens, because I don't see it. Do I think Mackenzie cheated in the past? Sure. I believe that. Do I think it's anything worse than Josh did? No. Do I think that he's had to forgive her over and over? No. Do I believe that she maybe cheated on him when he was cheating on her? Yes. Her mom did such a number to her self-esteem. It's so hard to watch. This episode, she is so upset. She's so depressed. And her family's like, you seem so happy. We're so happy for you and Josh. I cannot imagine that as a mother, when you are dying... And your daughter is like, I hate my husband. That you are using your dying wish to be like, I hope you stay with him. That's, I I, I truly can't imagine. You know, someone in my family had a, her father was dying. And like, right before he died, right before he died, he was like, leave your husband, please. Please leave your husband. You don't need to live like this. You are so miserable. Please please just leave him. And she did. He died and she left him because it was like the final wake up call that she needed. And that like, I can't imagine doing anything but that if you see your child in a bad relationship and you are dying, that your wish is for them to continue to struggle and not. It's very odd. Angie has seemingly had no like life is short. People should be happy realization. She still seems very confident in the struggle. You know, She seems very confident in believing that her children should still struggle for the greater good. I just, who can look at Mackenzie who says like, I fucking hate Josh and be like, please just work it out, please. 
She's not a depressed freak. She just has a husband she hates. That doesn't make you a depressed freak. That makes you normal. If you hate your husband, you're depressed. That's normal. God, I, I just feel so sad for Mackenzie. I feel very, very sad for her. Um, she goes to try on wedding dresses for the vow renewal with her friends. <laughs> and first of all, Mackenzie really deserves a dress do-over. She re- if anybody deserves a dress do-over, it's Mackenzie, who truly had the ugliest team mom wedding dress. But she's trying on these dresses and just, she can't. She does not want to do it. She's like, I hope it gets me excited for my ceremony. It's like, Mackenzie, girl, girl. She goes to see her mom and gets really sad news. Basically, as we all know, her mom is in late stage terminal cancer and she is trying to do more chemo treatments. But every time she goes to get more chemo, they are telling her her blood count is way too low and they can't administer the chemo. And if they can't administer the chemo, that means it is the end. There is no more medicine for her to take. There is no more hope. And it is a really, really sad talk. You know, it's just... First of all, I will say the interesting thing is, like, her mom seems very not sick in these episodes. Like, it's interesting to watch because she ha- she seems to have a lot of energy. Her tone of voice seems very perked up. Not perked up. I don't know. She doesn't, like, she has a shaved head, but she doesn't look that sick. It's very interesting knowing that she passes away very soon after this. And Mackenzie is of course, devastated, and she is kind of trying to, like, nicely or casually ask, like, if the doctors have given any more prognosis for how long Angie has, and she's like, so nobody has, like, you know, given you, like, a new time for living, and Angie basically says, I haven't seen the radiologist, so no, and I think I've just lived way longer than they ever thought I would, which she did. I think she originally got six months and she lived for like two and a half years and that's pretty incredible. You know, I worked with a woman whose 30-something-year-old daughter when she was eight months pregnant was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And like right away she had to have a C-section so she could immediately start the surgery. She eventually went to Germany for stem cell treatments and she was originally given less than a year to live and that was seven or eight years ago and she's still alive. It's really incredible. Um... And Angie really beat the odds, especially when, I mean, it was over a year before she died when they found out it went to her brain. Like, she really beat the odds when it came to how long she lived, and she really fought to stay there for extra time for her family, and that's a really beautiful thing, but it it is sad to hear her say, like, she's like, I just don't want to leave daddy, I don't want to leave you guys, I don't want to leave my grandkids, I want to see them graduate and go to their weddings, and then she turns and she says... And I want to see you and Josh have everything worked out. (sighs) To put the dying wish of a toxic relationship on your child is something I just can't understand. I, I cannot get it. I can't get it on a religious or spiritual level. I can't get it on a personal level. I, I don't understand why she's doing this to Mackenzie. I don't get it. All it's doing is fucking Mackenzie's head up. Being with Josh, like, why Why would she just say, not say, I just want you to be happy, however that is. If that means you're with Josh and you're happy, then great. If you can be with, here's what she should have said, and I just want to see you be happy. And if that means that you can stay with Josh and be happy, 
that would be amazing. But if that means that you need to leave Josh to be happy, then I understand and support you. That's all Mackenzie needs is for Angie to say, I support you leaving Josh. That's all she needs. All she wants to hear. Mackenzie will not leave Josh because she needs to hear her mother and probably her sisters say like, we support you. But they will not say that to her. They will not give it to her. And it doesn't make any fucking sense. And all of her friends are like, girl, leave. We see this sock, the the toxic cycle that you're in. Leave. This is what you guys do. This is so bad. But her family will not give her that permission. And, you know, Jess, my friend Jess pointed out that when she was watching the episode, she was like, Mackenzie is so desperate to be like her mom and sisters. And I've always said this. And it's something that I've always noticed. Her mom and her sisters are very religious and seem very strong in their faith. And she'll always write these long Instagram posts about how strong in their faith they are and how perfect they are in their marriages and how perfect they are as mothers, even though, of course, they're not perfect in their faith. Of course, they're not perfect as mothers. Of course, they're not perfect in their marriages. But that's how Mackenzie views them. And I think it's because it's how her mom raised her to view them. I think there's probably a lot of um, competition installed between them by their parents We know that because her mom constantly talks about how hard Mackenzie was compared to her siblings. And all Mackenzie wants to be is as good as her sisters. And she's not. I mean, she is, but she feels like she's not because she has a terrible marriage, because I think she really struggles with her faith. Um, And and her depression is really bad. And she has a illness. She has a mental health disorder that she will not get proper treatment for. And so she really fucking struggles. And her mom is near death and instead of saying the one thing that I want for you is to be happy she says I hope you and Josh work it out and make it work <laughs> like who puts that shit on their child I just I can't understand it watching this is like it's mind-blowing to me to watch somebody be so awful to their child and like I can't, and I know people say like Angie just is saying what she thinks is best, and like sure, but like who can watch Mackenzie and Josh's relationship for the last eight years and think that them working it out is the best? It doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't. This has been very. This episode was very hard for me to watch because I felt so sad for Mackenzie, and she's never gonna fucking leave Josh because she feels like it was her mom's dying wish for them to stay together, and that's some hard shit to get over. And her sisters are parroting their mother's instructions. I just need somebody like in her family to be like, leave Josh. It's okay. That's all she wants is permission. (sighs) She does tell, Mackenzie does end the, the episode by telling Josh how she can't, they can't have marriage vows and basically, or renew their vows basically because she hates him. She says, I hate our story. I hate what you made it. I hate the things that you've done. And I don't forgive you, so we can't have a vow renewal ceremony. (laughs) And this is what I mean when she's like, I've said multiple times that Josh had to forgive me. It's like, no, literally this whole season, you literally, you over and over and over again say, I hate Josh. That's a crazy thing. She's not saying I'm unhappy. Well, she is. But like, it's not like she's like, I'm just unhappy. I'm not sure what to do. I love Josh so much, but we just are not good together. All she says is like, I fucking hate Josh. She hates him. She hates him. And they're never going to come back from that. You cannot come back from the type of hate that she has for him. And the fact that people in her life hear her say, I hate Josh. And they're like, Mackenzie, come on. Get over it. What? 
It's infuriating. And should we go on to our last infuriating person? Amber, who is trying to move forward, but the ring camera footage was leaked. I noticed they did not leak the audio of uh, the machete hitting the door and the pictures uh, of the marks that the machete left. I realized that wasn't included in this. <sighs> they show that Amber absolutely knew that the house had cameras because at one point she is staring at the camera and straight up talking to it saying, bring my son back to me right now. Get your stuff and go. And this is what I bring up when people say, well, why didn't Andrew leave that night? And it's because Amber wasn't going to le let him leave with that baby. There's no way she was going to let him leave with that baby. And what was he supposed to do? Leave the baby with Amber? No. No, 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 no. They talk about the fact that she threatened without a crystal ball. I can't really remember exactly what she said, but she threatened her and Katie Joy, who does without a crystal ball, uh, contacted her probation officer over it. I guess nothing ever happened. I guess nothing ever happened with her. I wonder what's going on in her case with that drug test that she had to go to court for and her lawyer quitting. I wonder what's going on. There haven't really been any updates lately with that, I don't think. So Gary, she does, they show us her Instagram live where she had to address her haters. And then Gary and Christina are talking about it. And Gary thinks it's all bullshit. The producer is like, well, Andrew wants to film. And Gary's like, oh, so he's a contradiction. And he's, it's financially motivated. And he just needs to let it be. She has her sentence. Uh, Gary says that Andrew is destroying her because his ultimate goal is that Andrew is trying to push her button so that she'll violate probation and go to jail and he can move home with the baby. Because he wants full custody and not child support. One, once again, what fucking child support is he going to get if Amber goes to jail? Two, when Gary says this shit, like she just wants full custody and child support, or he just wants full custody and child support, I'm like, hey, Gare, hey, Gare Bear, are you giving more custody to Amber? Have you agreed to stop taking child support from Amber? When is the last time that you... Um, didn't take child support from Amber. When did you agree to give more custody to Amber? Because if memory serves me correct, Amber went to jail and you got full custody of Leah and then you got child support from her when she came out of jail. And also, when is the last time that Amber fucking saw Leah in this timeline? I'm curious about that. The last time that Amber saw Leah or has any sort of involvement with Leah. And then Gary and Christina sit there and they're like, Amber's trying, Andrew's trying to destroy Amber, not help her. I'm like, why is it Amber, Andrew's job to support Amber? And here's the thing, like, should Andrew have leaked that stuff? I don't fucking know. I don't know. Because James will hear it one day and I guess that is shitty. But would we all be on Andrew's side if he didn't leak it? Probably not. Can I understand his motivation for the truth to come out? Yes, I can. Can I understand why he recorded it? Absolutely, because nobody fucking believes him. Nobody believes him. So he started recording the fights. And the ring camera stuff, like, she knew there was a ring camera. She's talking to the security cameras in the house, yelling at them to talk to Andrew. <laughs> She's looking right at it, speaking directly to Andrew, because she knows, he, I guess, he'll watch the footage. <laughs> So it's not like this is a secret recording this night of the machete. Why, sh why shouldn't an abuse victim be allowed to record their abuse? That's my question. And please don't come at me with that he egged her on shit. I'm sorry, but have you guys not watched Amber for the last eight years? Like, 
on Marriage Boot Camp, Matt said that Amber, the weather triggers Amber, and I believe that. I watched Amber on an Instagram Live. Her head basically detached from her body because she was so fucking angry because her Instagram Live was lagging, and someone said, you should get better internet, and she screamed for five full minutes about how she is the best fucking internet ever. And, like, I thought she was going to explode from rage. Amber is a rageaholic with a serious personality disorder that is completely untreated. There is no triggering Amber. There is no egging Amber on. Amber does this because she is mentally ill and does not get help. And anytime anybody's around her, they're going to trigger her. There was another audio that was released not that long ago. And they're sitting in the car, and according to Katie Joy, uh, Amber was flipped out because where they went for breakfast was closed, and she's screaming at Andrew, and she's like, and you're, she's like, you're so fucking boring, you old fuck, and she goes, and you're wearing that fucking sweater, you fucking idiot, why are you wearing that fucking sweater? She's screaming at him for wearing a sweater, and Andrew goes, you bought me this sweater. <laughs> like, she's triggered by him wearing a sweater. This is what I mean. Are there times that Andrew eggs her on? I'm sure. Are there times where Andrew starts to fight? Sure. But the reality is, is that Amber has a serious personality disorder that flips out about everything. And when you live with a person like that, you are walking on eggshells 24-7. And when you live with an abuser, it's not about you triggering them or you egging them on. It's about the fact that they are abusers. And I don't understand why this is so hard for people to get, including Gary, who was punched in the face repeatedly on television by her over nothing. <sighs> Gary also says if she listens to me, she'll stay out of trouble. I think Gary and Christina are too involved. It's unhealthy. Their level of involvement is now, it's not right. There needs to be some boundaries with Amber. I don't think that what they're doing, is, I don't think they're going about this right at all. No, I think they're enabling her. It's not good. I don't, I don't like it. So we see Andrew filming. He doesn't want to film at his house because he finds the house very triggering. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people say, well, why doesn't he move out? I would guess the reality is that he can't afford to move out. I don't think he has anywhere else to live. He says that, you know, that night was the scariest night of his life and he didn't call the cops for no reason. He had never seen her like that before. Um, and remember, like Amber tried to kill herself that night or she pretended to. She told him she took a bunch of pills like, in the recording, he's like, do I not, Do I need to call an ambulance? Like, did you just eat all your medicine? Did you just eat all your medicine? Um, so I don't know if she actually did or she didn't. And he said, JC, the producer, asked him straight up, like, at what point did you start recording her? And he said, you know, when she started abusing me, he said, every time I got abused, I would record her because I was scared that no one would believe him. And JC asked, how many do you have? And he says, I have a lot. JC asked why he spoke to the press, and he said, look, my motivation was to speak out in the press, and I need to share my side of the story. And JC's like, so not for money? And Andrew's like, what? I haven't made any money from this, which I kind of believe. I don't think without a without a crystal ball is paying him, and I feel like he's just giving quotes to other places. I'm, I kind of believe he's not really getting money from... From the type of press that Andrew has done, it's not like he's selling exclusive stories to In Touch, from what I can tell. So I could believe, I mean, maybe he's getting some money, but he seems to give like a quote here and there. He's not giving sit down, long form interviews like Janelle does. You can kind of tell, at least in my opinion, when it's a paid interview and when it's not. And it didn't seem like, and I'm sure Katie Joy is not paying him because they're, I mean, maybe she's giving him cut of her profits of the YouTube videos, but I also 
kind of doubt it. I don't think she has the funds to pay for him. Um, he says, JC asks if he's concerned that James will hear them in the future. And Andrew's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. He's like, maybe I shouldn't have released them. And I think that's where I think Andrew and I are in agreement here, where it's like, what was, was releasing them and having Amber's real self outed better or worse in the long run for James? That I'm not sure about. Um, he starts crying a little bit. He's upset. He said he never wanted a broken family. He also says something about wanting to be back in the good graces of his family. So I'm curious about what happened with his family while he was with Amber. I'm wondering if maybe she isolated him from his family. I wouldn't be surprised. And he just wants to get a job and take care of James. He's like, you know, if I'm going to be here and I need, I want to work, I'm going to have to get creative. And that's where I'm like, Okay, no, you could just, like, go get a job in an office or at a store or somewhere. Like, you're in Indiana. You have to be here. You made the choice to move to Indiana. You made the choice to have a baby with somebody that lived in Indiana. And you chose to live in Indiana, so now you have to work in Indiana. Just go get a job, Andrew. Um, Amber lets us know how she unplugged from social media because she realized how dangerous it was for her. <laughs> okay. Gary comes over to talk to Amber, and Amber's wearing – she's – Every scene she films in her house this season, she's sitting in the same exact spot on the couch and wearing the same shirt. Have we all noticed this? Her lawyers have told her to shut up and not say anything. So she feels like really restrained and restricted. And it's like, okay. And Gary once again says everything that Andrew does is the opposite of helping you. And once again, I question Gary's understanding of abuse if he feels that it is Andrew's job to help her. And I think that it kind of shows the toxic mentality that Gary has and where he's coming from because he feels like it's his job to fix Amber. And I guess Christina agrees with this. And I don't think that to be true. And I think that it's going to greatly backfire on them because I'm pretty sure eventually Amber's going to turn on Gary and Christina because she is sick and she is not getting any help for her mental health issues. And besides seeing her psychiatrist and I mean, eventually she's going to turn on the people closest to her, which is Gary and Christina. It Like, it's going to happen. It happened in the past and they forgave her. Remember when she said, like, accuse Gary of keeping Leo away from her, like, when she was with Matt? Um, and I, I think that Gary and Christina are going to be very shocked when it happens, but I think it will happen. Um. Amber says, you know, there are limits to somebody with mental health disorders and how you can treat them. You can hear me on the audio saying, don't do this. I don't need this. <sighs> she does start fake crying. There's no tears coming out and saying I have a lot of guilt of not being aware of myself more. Like, what does that mean? Oh, God. And Gary's like, well, now you have that awareness. And once again, I'm like, does she? Next week is when her Belgian boyfriend comes or she starts talking to him, which is thrilling. That I'm excited to see and how Gary responds to it. I hope he's on camera besides on FaceTime soon. Like, I hope we get him in America very soon. Anyway, that's it for this week. Lots of toxic family talk this week. I hope everybody has a good week. Stay safe and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.